The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about playing sports and how it may prepare our young folks for the many challenges of the business world and even life. Joining us is John Harris, an award-winning sports journalist and author of his book, From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket, My Life in Football and Business. And in this book, he shares the story of the Pro Football Hall of Famer, Edrin James. John would talk about his book and share the great stories and experiences of the life of Edrin and why playing sports and living an athlete's life can prepare you for success in business and even life. But you have to be smart about it. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. How are you, D.? I'm doing excellently. How are you doing, my sister? I am doing great, and I am just so full of uh, energy because we've been getting pretty good days so far, you know? You know what? I walked out this morning, and I said, well, particularly yesterday, I said, boy, this is a nice day. Very nice. And today is nice, too. Not too hot. Yes. shining and it's really not bad. Not yes, bad at all. I can have this. Mm-hmm. I can have this kind of weather forever. I could too, <laughs> honestly. I really could. This is this would be year round great for me. Yes, it would. Yes, yeah, it would be. Yeah. But we are here, and this is episode two hundred and thirty-eight. And today we are talking about playing sports and how it may prepare you for many challenges, you know, the challenges of the business in the business world and even life. And so is it worth going through the struggles of playing sports? Parents, making sure that your kids are involved in sports so that they can learn how to play as a team and learn important skills and also all the money and sacrifice that you go through to keep your kids disciplined and engaged in sports. Is it worth it? Well, research suggests that playing sports even if you play poorly, you know, even if you can't play, <laughs> uh-huh. can make you more successful in business. Why? Because you learn resilience, leadership skills, but most importantly, athletes understand and value hard work. Most of them. Now, some of them don't, but they understand the value of hard work, accountability, competition, and being part of a team. And this prepares you to work in a team environment, in, in business, and come ready to work hard and compete on a daily basis. And you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot through through um, sports and mentors as well. And so joining us is John Harris, an award-winning um, sports journalist and author of his book, From Gold Teeth to 
Gold Jacket, My Life in Football and Business, which shares the story of the Pro Football Hall of Famer, Edgerin James. And so John will give us his interpretation or his inspiration, we should say, for writing this book and why it is important for us to see how that playing sports can certainly um, prepare you for success in business and in life. And so what do you say, D? I'm looking forward to it. Yes. It would be great. Yes, it will. Well, folks, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. It's all about health and fitness. Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or on any of the platforms that you listen to your podcast. When you subscribe, you will be notified first when we post a new show. You will be able to listen, to learn, and experience our shows where we bring in guests and Talk about the things that are important for just our health, our life, our uh, well-being, and things that are important in our community. And as you know, we do not talk about, just talk about, you know, physical health. We talk about many things, all the things that you can do to preserve your mental health as well. We believe in total well-being, having a holistic approach to healthy living. So make sure you do not miss any of our shows and subscribe today and last but not least go on apple Podcasts. we want you to give us a five star rating and review because that is how we grow and increase our listeners and we appreciate you also don't forget to check out our resources page vickidofitness.com forward slash resources there you will find products and services that will be helpful to you as you embrace a life of health and fitness, we have a variety of items on our resource list for you to check out and try. We have Reebok, Warby Parker, Polar. Yes, you know, I always talk about that Polar because that's a fitness tracker and they are top of the line. We have iRemedy Healthcare. Yes, we have places starting to require wearing masks. You can go on iRemedy Healthcare and get that. Yes, masks have not gone away. No, no, no. Then we have Cardia by Alive Core. That is a device that you can put your thumbs on. You can check your heart rate and you can check your ECG, your rhythms. And uh, what's so cool about this device is that you can check it, see it, and also Um, send the results, send the results to your physician. You can get in sync with that app. So it's very important. It's a safety uh, device, actually, for those of you that may have heart problems. Okay, so we have the right stuff, a medical supply space. You can go online uh, for caregivers or for any of you guys that want to find different things to help Someone at home, that's the place to go. The right stuff. Are the tea? Yes, there's this place has plenty of tea. And you you guys know about the um, Art of Tea. Wonderful concoctions of wonderful blends of tea. My lab box. Yes, you can take your labs. You can take your wellness labs, all of that at home, and then get back, you know, a physician. If you have um, uh, STD, your results, if you want to find out your status, all of that, HIV, 
This is a space, mylabbox.com, that you can go to. They will send this to you, the labs to you, so you can do it yourself. Send it back in, and then they offer you free. A physician can help you interpret the results, and most especially if you are positive. Ecolunchbox.com, recyclable. Yes, recyclable lunchbox and all kinds of colorful supplies. Most especially, this is a, a website to check out. Most especially since school has already started for some folks, you know. You're packing those lunchboxes eco-friendly. You know, we're saving the planet with these type of lunch boxes and supplies. So go check it out and much more. But let's talk briefly about the Polar, the Polar Electro Polar Monitor. Polar has a 40-year legacy of innovation and um, fitness wearables. Polar has been the leading, it has been leading the way in providing a broad range of products to help people of all fitness levels reach their goals. They have now the new Polar Pacer Pro. It's an advanced GPS running watch that is ultra light. It is the new generation GPS running watch and it is equipped with advanced training tools for serious runners to improve running economy and performance. But they have other fitness trackers and monitors and watches that anyone at any fitness level can wear. So make sure folks, make sure you check out Polar on our resources page, vickidofitness.com forward slash resources, or go directly to the website using our link, vickidofitness.com forward slash Polar. And remember, when you use any of the affiliate links, to buy any of the products and services on our resources page, you're supporting us here at Vicky Doe Fitness. And as always, what do we say, D? Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Well, D, like we were saying, you know, the weather is gorgeous. I am enjoying it. Good. And I'm taking a me week self-care week when people call me with my family call me well brother bill did call me right before we start the show because you know he always does that right uh but did you ever have a golf outing did he ever did they ever reschedule the golf outing not the way it was you know was supposed to they had to cancel that whole thing but he is back golfing but yeah they got to reschedule that yes yes okay because it rained out. It was all rained out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought you had told me. Right? Yeah, but we we love that Brother Bill. So, yeah, Brother Bill called me. But, yeah, for, for my family, this week is a me week. So I, I'm, I tell them, look, I'm taking care of myself this week. I'm doing self-care. And mm-hmm. I'm just taking it easy, you know, because that's what I deserve. I'm talking about what, you know, giving myself a pat on the back. You know, exactly. you know, sometimes you do have to congratulate yourself for doing things. You know what? You know, yeah, Uh, Vicky, I say to myself, Vicky, you did a great job. You know, good that you're in there hustling and and spending all them hours doing this and that. Sometimes we have to because because nobody really knows all of the things, the hours that we spend on doing different things. You know, they they only see the results. So sometimes 
we have to congratulate ourselves. What do you think, Dee? Don't it's you think? True. I I completely agree. Nobody's going to look out after us or applaud us like we do for mm-hmm. ourselves. That's because it. Because the other thing is that, you know, I often put on Facebook, not everybody claps for you. Yeah, that's true. So you have to clap for yourself. That's <laughs> it. And it's liberating. <laughs> it is liberating. It is. That's it. Is. it. Yes, yes, yes. It is. So how was your week then? How was your week? Um, it was good. Went to some concerts, Blossom, last week. Um, okay. And that was nice. Just kind of getting out and enjoying, you know, the outdoors and so forth. So, yeah, listening to some good jazz music and, and you know, just try, like you said, just trying to do some me stuff and enjoying of the, because, you know, winter's going to be coming here pretty soon. In a blink, in a blink of an eye. In a blink of an eye. So I want to try to do as much stuff involving being outside these next couple of months as possible, because we're going to be looking at six to eight to 10, (laughs) 10 inches of snow here pretty soon. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. D, what? is going on this week <laughs> everything vicky everything everything did you know that they had and i didn't know they have a black business month august is black business month no yeah i didn't know that uh-uh. yeah because because uh-uh. um dale king you know that's who i've worked with for many years uh-huh. for uh, yeah. a radio station broadcast you know he he and and bj they always uh, take care of all my studio needs and stuff. We were uh-huh. talking uh-huh. just yesterday. He was saying, you know, they always do public service things on the radio. And he was like, it was brought to his attention that August is Black Business Month. And I was like, yeah, I kind of heard of that. But I don't know when it started. And I know it started a while back. But I don't think people maybe paid it more attention to no. it. Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. So that's great. So this is this is Black Business Month, August twenty twenty second. We are going to we're going to uh, spread awareness of it on our show. And it says that um, Black Business Month is celebrated in August. It's a time to acknowledge and appreciate Black-owned businesses across the nation and all that they represent in the country's continual striving for diversity and equality. Celebrate National Black Business Month. I looked in other business magazines and papers and stuff, and this particular write-up was in the New Jersey Business Magazine, and it was talking about how that the National Black Business Month was initiated in 2004 by John William Templeton, president and executive editor of the scholarly publishing company E-Access Corp and engineering executive Frederick E. Jordan. They were the ones that, you know, initiated this. And Frederick E. Jordan, who was unable to obtain financing for his San San Francisco-based business, so together they shared a goal to drive policy change affecting African-American entrepreneurs and seeking greater equity and inclusion. And so when we look at the history, the history of black-owned businesses in the United States goes all the way back to the 1700s when free and even enslaved African-Americans opened small businesses, which then grew significantly 
after the emancipation. And so the period between the 1900 and 1930 was known as the golden age when the growth of black owned businesses doubled. And so today those num numbers have risen to approximately 3.12 million, generating 206 billion in revenue. However, these figures only represent 2.4% of the nation's businesses, while white-owned businesses account for 86.5%, even though blacks represent 12.8% of the, rep of the uh, population. And so according to John Harmon, he is the founder, John Harmon Sr., he's the founder and CEO and president of the African-American Chamber of Commerce. Um, this is in New Jersey. 16% of small businesses in New Jersey are black-owned. That's 80,000 in a state where there's 1.19 million African-Americans. They reside there. And then in Ohio, I looked up the Ohio stats. You know, it's, uh -huh. only, it's only 81, the state of Ohio, only 81,000 businesses oh, wow. that are African-Americans. So, yeah, Harmon remarks that, there are several reasons why there is such a disparity and systematic challenges, such as the absence of capital. You know, we always talk about that funding opportunities being. We can't get loans. Can't, can't get, get money. Loans. Can't get African money. Americans. The bottom line is, you have to have capital to start a business, and mm -hmm. there's many, 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 many stories about how African Americans still, even today, can't get money loaned mm -hmm. to them by a bank. Can't get money. Can't be. And then so most no. of the time, most of us, you know, we got to get money. We got to do crowdfunding. We got to do all kinds of right. things. Go into our own money, our savings and stuff. Yeah. Right. To start to start these things, to start businesses. Uh, and, so, you know, too, Vicky, another uh -huh. thing, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. A lot of us don't have a business plan when we go in to get the money. So, I mean, I know. it's a whole. It, it is a lot. I mean? Yeah. And then <laughs> a lot of, a lot of folks that, hey, a lot of folks <laughs> that say they're in business, they haven't even registered. This, right. this happens in the state of Ohio. They haven't even mm -hmm. registered their name and their business, mm. you know. And so what happens is. They miss out on the opportunities, especially when when they were doing those PP loans and all those um, loans that yes, you could get. Yes, If you weren't a registered uh, business, you missed yes. out on that. And a lot of times, yes. we don't get that that um, training. A lot of folks don't right. have that training on how to even start a business professionally. How you should. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's a part of the financial literacy. I would say too that's that's important out there as well, you know. So what do you I think agree. about this? This is the black no, business I, month. I agree. It's interesting because you would think that the Black Business Month would have come out sooner, especially with you know Black Enterprise Magazine coming out for so many, many, many years mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm, when they mm -hmm. started that back in the day. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well, better late than never, but that's good. I mean, because you know now is the time we. We do have to understand that black businesses, we need to support black businesses and have more black businesses. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it's, I think it's really, and then this, this is also where networking comes in to, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, play. So, yeah. Right. And in order to build, you know, all, they always talk about, you know, black folks, we, we, we do, 
you know, trillion dollars, you know, we're worth trillion dollars, uh-huh. which is more than a lot of countries are. But yeah, right. we're we're worth that, but we that buying power that we have. Yeah, but we spend it and making other folks rich instead well, that's of exactly. Right. Exactly. Instead of using exactly. that money and building our own wealth collectively. Correct. As Correct. yeah, black folks, yeah, yeah. Correct. So exactly. Well, exactly. we working on it. These young folks, though, they they trying to do it. They trying to do the do. Them well, Gen Xs. They have a lot more financial literacy than their you know the, their predecessors than their their elders. They yes. hopefully understand. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're getting a lot more financial literacy information than maybe I did. Not maybe that I, I know they did than than I did. Right, right. So mm-hmm. yeah, the Gen the Gen Xs. That's that's me and, and the Gen Zs and the the millennials, yeah. Gen Ys, right? And and and, and, and two, three, four, five, and all that. <laughs> alpha, beta, and gamma. <laughs> exactly. There it is. All right. Well, we got the health tip, and this is a quick health tip that I thought was interesting. And it says it's written in the idea. Um, fitness journal and it talks about I can do it you know since we're talking about resilience and all that this says I can do it competency and exercise boost resiliency right so resilience is valuable particularly during stressful times and exercise is known to be a valuable tool for building it new research shows that feelings of competence uh, may facilitate an individual's ability to optimize the resilience gain from physical activity. South China Normal University researchers in Ganghu studied whether feelings of competency, um, autonomy, and or relatedness impacted the relationship between physical activity and stress resilience. Researchers surveyed 2,375 uh, male and female Chinese college-age students from six universities. Data analysis showed that feeling competent had the most impact on the effects of physical activity and resilience. Autonomy or feeling a sense of self-determination was also significant. 19.21%, but not as much as competency. Relatedness, the importance of maintaining interpersonal relationships, minimally impacted the relationship between physical activity and resilience. So 12.58%. Given these findings, fitness professionals may want, we may want to consider ways to build participants' sense of competency by acknowledging accomplishments during training sessions. So just talking about how well a person is doing, isn't that something? That's all it takes to build that, to boost that resilience. And so Mm -hmm. there were study limitations, and it includes its short duration and the fact that it is associational, all these big words, and cannot uh, establish cause and effect. Okay, and so this is just putting it out there. The study is published in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health. So what does that say? Exercise telling a person that, you know, 
that they're doing great, giving them a sense that they can do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. It builds resilience. Exactly. It does. Yeah. And that's from exercise. Yep. So we back to exercise mm-hmm. once again. Bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, we can't Bottom get away from it. We can't uh-uh, get away. <laughs> uh-uh. Absolutely not. No. That's it. Mm-hmm. Well, no. Dee, you know we gotta ask, what's the latest? You got so much throwing yeah, at us. You got some, just some quick some quick things okay. going on. Uh monkeypox still still growing by leaps and bounds. I think yesterday it was eleven thousand and some. Today it's twelve thousand six hundred and eighty nine. And I mean, mm. you know, I guess I'm just still waiting to hear yes. more about how this is spread. I'm mm. just having a hard time wrapping my arms around just contact. Mm-hmm. And so just briefly I pulled up the map okay. of where the epicenter is. The epicenter is right now in the state of New York with 2,620 cases, okay. followed by uh, California, 1,945, Florida, 1,200, Georgia, 1,013, and Texas, I think I said Texas, and those are the biggies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and then you've got the smitherings with, through all the other states, but, you know, we're, the, the, the White House is working feverishly. They, yesterday I saw on television, we now have a monkeypox czar, who has previously worked for the CDC. So they're trying to figure out basically how to increase testing, 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 which is where we missed out with COVID, mm-hmm. and also making sure that we have equitable distribution of the treatment that's available for monkeypox. I still think that we are not ready. I still think that there are a lot of states that when the first monkeypox uh, person runs and comes through the door, everybody's going to dummy down and not exactly know what's going on, because I don't think there's been not enough, you know, prepping of, of mm-hmm. individuals and mm-hmm. so forth. So so we just have to watch and see. But like I said, it's growing almost, to me, like a 1,000 cases a day. I don't know. I haven't really had a – but I know this started in May mm. where we had none, mm-hmm. and we're up to 12,689. So I, you just try to figure it out. So that's that on that. Okay. And then the latest on COVID mm-hmm. as – uh, individuals might have realized that the CDC last week streamed their COVID-19 guidance to help people better understand their risks, how to protect themselves and others, and what actions to take if exposed to COVID and what actions to take if they are sick and test positive. Um, the CDC said that we're in a stronger place today as a nation with more tools like vaccination, boosters, and treatments to protect ourselves and our communities from severe illness from COVID-19. In support of uh, this update, CDC is continuing to promote the importance of vaccination, updating its guidance for people who are not up to date on their vaccines, recommending that instead of quarantining, if you were exposed to COVID-19, you wear a high-quality mask for 10 days and get tested on day five, reiterating that regardless of vaccination status, you should isolate from others When you have Mm COVID-19, recommending that if you test positive for COVID-19, you stay home for at least five days and isolate from others in your home. It also says, though, that recommending that if you have moderate illness, shortness of breath, or severe severe illness Mm -hmm. due to COVID, you have a weakened immune system and you may need to isolate for 10 days. Mm. They also recommend, too, that if you have severe illness or have a 
weakened immune system. Consult your doctor before ending your isolation. Mm-hmm. Ending isolation without a viral test may not be an option for you. If you're unsure if your symptoms are moderate or severe or if you have a weakened immune system, talk to a health care provider for further guidance. And so basically that's kind of it. And recommending screening, testing of asymptomatic people without known exposures will no longer be recommended in most community settings. So mm. those are the two main major uh you know, things that we have to deal with today. But like I said, I'm seriously looking at this monkeypox orthopox virus situation. So I would say stay tuned. Stay tuned. And thanks a lot, D. Uh, you just full of good news, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's good news. It's really good news. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Today, we talk about playing sports and how it may prepare you for the many challenges, you know, the challenges of the business world and even life. And research suggests that playing um, sports, even if you play poorly, can make you more successful in business. You learn resilience and leadership skills, but most importantly, Athletes understand and value hard work, accountability, competition, and just being a part of a team and much more. Well, joining us is John Harris, an award-winning sports journalist and author of his book, From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket, My Life in Football and Business, which shares the story of the Pro Football Hall of Famer, Edgerin James, and John, he will give us his inspiration for writing this book and why it is, why it's important for us to see how that playing sports can certainly prepare you for a lot of things, for success in business and even in life. So let's listen to the interview with John Harris. Well, here with us today is John Harris, an award-winning sports journalist and author of From Gold Teeth to go jacket, my life in football and, and business. This is the story of a pro football Hall of Famer, Edgerin James, and John has written for many decades, four decades, for outlets that include the Philadelphia Inquirer, um, Pittsburgh Tribune Review, the Youngstown Vindicator, ESPN's Anscape, formerly The Undefeated, and CBS Sportsline and others. John's work has garnered awards from the Associated Press Sports Editors, Society of Professional Journalists, Green Eyeshade, Florida Sports Writers, Ohio Associated Press, and Keystone Media Awards in Pennsylvania. Today, John will talk to us about his book, From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket, My Life in Football and Business. And he's going to share with us his inspiration and motivation for writing it. So how are you, John? What's going on? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Yes. What about you, Dee? Yeah. um, It's been a minute since we've we've seen you guys, but welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I'm back in Ohio, but it's good to talk with folks that are in Ohio. It kind of makes me feel like I'm back where I lived for (laughs) for 10 years. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize you were here for 10 years, huh? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the boys, the boys kind of grew up here, didn't they? I remember seeing them all the time on Facebook. Miles uh, and what's yeah. the name of your other son? Langston. Miles and Miles Langston. Miles and Langston. Yes. Yeah, the boys are yes. now 25 and 20. 
Oh, wow. No. Oh, my goodness. I remember when they were in junior high school. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Amazing. That is amazing. Well, we're so happy that you are here with us today. And so we want to start out. Why don't you tell us your story and how you became a um, sports journalist? That's interesting. Yes. Yeah, it, it's, I, I sometimes look back on it and, and I shake my head and, and disbelieve. I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. was a huge sports fan. I played sports, played soccer, played football. Philadelphia was a great sports town, all the pro teams. I was a devout Philadelphia Eagles fan growing up. Loved the 76ers. And as I got older, like a lot of young adults, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I was in college. I was a junior at Mansfield University in Pennsylvania and had a couple of professors that really influenced me about writing as a career. I always loved to write. Okay. Just didn't really know what I wanted to write about or if I could make a living off of writing. And when I look at the industry today compared to then, it's so much different now. Uh, so many more opportunities, internships, things that really didn't exist a lot back then. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I learned was through connections. Mm -hmm. uh, going up to Philadelphia, I read the Philadelphia Inquirer devoutly, which was a daily newspaper, and I used to read about a gentleman named Asel Moore, who was one of the editors at the paper. He was a Pulitzer Prize winner. He was African-American, grew up in Philadelphia. In fact, knew my mother uh, when they were kids growing up in South Philadelphia. My last year in college, I did an internship at a suburban newspaper in Philadelphia, and one of my assignments was writing about crime. And I would go to a police station, and I met a police captain there, mm -hmm. uh, Captain Howard Patton, who was also African-American. He took a liking to me. He would just tell me about what he did and what I was writing about, and he told me he had a friend named Asa Moore, and he wanted me to meet him. Mm -hmm. So he arranged a, a meeting. We met. I went to his office. At the Enquirer, I was in awe of the building, the white building with the clock at the top. I couldn't believe that I was actually in the Philadelphia Enquirer building. I went into his office. We talked for a while. I remember he asked me, what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I think I want to write. I'm not really sure. I'm working at this little paper now. I guess I'll keep working for them if they offer me a job when I, when I finish the internship. So he said, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to make a couple calls. I'm going to get back to you. Mm -hmm. So sure enough, he gets back to me and he says, uh, you ever think about being a sports writer? Uh, I was like, uh, not really. I love sports. I just wanted to be a writer. I wanted to write, mm -hmm. be a journalist, write for a newspaper. Mm -hmm. uh, when Asa won his Pulitzer Prize, one of the editors, John Carroll, mm -hmm. left the Enquirer and went to the Lexington Herald Leader, which is in Lexington, Kentucky. He was the editor, the new editor of the newspaper. And Asa called him and told him about it. And at that time, the Lexington Herald Leader was looking for a, a black reporter and also for a sports reporter. And I went down for an interview, got the job. And just amazing that it was something that I had really had never thought about. But sports was always my first love. So that was where I got my start. That was where I got my passion okay. from a mentor, a true mentor, who, who really cared about mm -hmm. this young man who we really didn't even know. Mm -hmm. and took the time out of his busy schedule and his career to help me. So that was always something that I always tried to do mm -hmm. throughout my career is reaching back, helping people, uh, people that I knew. If I knew about job opportunities, I would tell them about it. I would tell editors about people like that. So that's how I got started. 
in the business. Oh, wow. D, what do you have to say? I, I love that mentorship thing going on. You know? I do, too. That's a great, that's a great story because, you know, you and I have talked about mentorship, mentors and mentees uh-huh. a lot. You know, I like to do that. And that's, you know, John, it's, it just takes one mentor sometimes, that one mentor to change your whole life. And also, yeah. you know, I think about my medical career, that that mentor is always on my shoulder mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. telling me, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have that mentor, that mentor follows you all the way through the rest of your life, really. Yes, yes. And we all we all have, have one. You know, I always talk about, do you always hear me talk about Dr. Glipman? Yeah. Yeah. And so she, she was my advisor, and she helped me through all of my, you know, my Ph.D., doing the research, the dissertation, all of that. So, yeah, it's nice to have a mentor that you can have and, and you can call or they can call you for a lifetime, you know? Isn't that great? Exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. and like you said, we, we try to be that, most especially since we, you know, are African-American so that, that we can help our folks as well. What do you say, John, to that? When I worked in um, Toledo at the Toledo Blade and when I worked in uh, St. Petersburg, I did a lot of recruiting. I would go to conferences uh, and talk to young, you know, folks that were looking for jobs. Uh, I would I'd be really honest with them about the industry. And I found, the thing I found was that it was a challenge to a lot of young professionals or young journalists. They liked the challenge. They felt like they could go into a situation that maybe they might be the first journalist of color there, and they would see it as a challenge, something that they would want to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it was always a passion of mine, and I did it for a long time. And even informally, just when I was working in St. Petersburg, a lot of people I knew that worked at other newspapers, I would, when I heard about an opening or what have you, I would just tell them, hey, you need to go, you know, you need to go talk to these people about, about yourself and about what you do. And a lot of times it would result in, in the opportunities for them. And just something that you felt like, almost felt like it was not, not an obligation, but just it felt like it was part of your job description. It was something that you did, that you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it. Well, you know, I'm very curious about your book. I start reading it. We um, loved it. So I want to know, why did you decide to talk about this gentleman, Edrin James, your new book, From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket? My life in football and business. Yeah, so why did you pick him? Say, you know, I'm writing about this young man. Well, honestly, he picked me. He picked you. Uh, again, okay. I, I, well, I find that as I learned <laughs> in my career, which, as I've said it before, four decades, it kind of frightens me to say that. Four decades and makes you feel really Oh, don't really talk old. about Don't but, talk about decades. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but it is what it is. And uh, through the... Through the years of contact, I, I, I met a uh, gentleman, uh, Charles Bennett, who was a forensic accountant, uh, probably the best in America. He, what he did was he would do the salary caps for the National Football League and for the National Basketball Association. His calculations would help determine what each team would have to spend each year in both of those sports. Mm. And we met through out of those various stories where I would quote him through the years. So we developed a relationship. You know, professional relationship. You know, if I was in town, he lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico, so we didn't see each other that much. And I traveled around a lot of different places. But if he was in the town where I was, we would have lunch, we'd talk. And one day he called me. First, he had told me a while back he he was Edwin James's accountant, and he would just tell me about these stories of him working with athletes and some of the issues that these athletes had financially. 
Mm-hmm. But Edgeman never, Edgeman was not one of those guys. He just told me, oh, yeah, Edgeman, James is my accountant, and I told him about mm-hmm. you. And he, he's been telling me that he wants to write a book. Mm-hmm. So he wants to talk to you. I didn't know Edgeman James. I knew who he was. Yes. Um, I had never really interviewed him one-on-one. I'd been at games where he was, so I saw him, was part of interviews where he was there. But I, I did, like you said, I didn't know him from a can of paint. He didn't know, he definitely didn't know me. Okay. Charles got us on the phone, the three of us, we talked. And then Edwin and I, after Charles, later dates, we talked some more. And Edwin got to a point where he felt comfortable with me. Mm-hmm. And he told me, you know, I want to write, I want to write my life story. I feel like it's time. And we just started to brainstorm and try to figure out what would be the best way to pursue this book. Because Edwin, great player with the Indianapolis Colts, uh, with Arizona Cardinals, and at the University of Miami, the U, was very reserved, very laid back, didn't do a lot of interviews. So he wasn't one of those athletes that was out there. He didn't do commercials. He didn't say a lot. He wasn't, you didn't see him on TV a lot. He was very in the background. So given that he hadn't played for a while, given that a lot of people didn't know who he was or maybe knew him by name, we had to really calculate a game plan that would work. Mm-hmm. I just felt like the best story would be his story, mm-hmm. which uh, how he came up, basically kind of raised himself, but developed this unbelievable mind for numbers and finances and business that to this day I still kind of wonder where it came from. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a mentor you know, a male figure like that growing up. His father wasn't around. So somehow he was the man of the house. With his mom's mom had uh, five sons, three that lived there. Three of the boys did time in prison. So somehow he was able to figure things out to, you know, hey, I- I'm a great athlete. I can play football. John, yeah. I'm going to show you that I read your book because mm-hmm. I beg to differ a little bit. I remember you saying in the book that uh-huh. he would go over to his grandmother's house and get on the couch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And his grandmama was the one that always talked about money. Mm. You know, she was the one that always talked about how important money was and, you know, this and that. (laughs) Those grandmas. It sort of seemed like the grandma was the one that maybe kind of instilled a little bit of that money thing in him. I I don't know, you know, if I'm right. No, I agree. I, I I think it was his grandmother. I think it was his grandfather. Mm-hmm. Owned businesses. He told me he had some right. uncles who who did some businesses, but he just contractors, and they weren't even educated. No, it's, I think, but I think a lot of it still for him was mother wit and common sense. Mm-hmm. But the way right. he dealt with as he got older, mm-hmm. you know, when he got drafted, you know, every player, every athlete, always the first thing they want to do is they want to get an agent. They want to sign with an agent. Mm-hmm. I need to get mm-hmm. an agent. Well, he didn't do that. He he waited. Mm-hmm. People told him, you're making a mistake. If you don't have an agent, you know, you might not get drafted. You won't get drafted high. He didn't do it. He waited. Um, he was picked fourth overall in that draft mm-hmm. without an agent, mm-hmm. which is pretty remarkable mm-hmm. to think about it. Mm-hmm. He felt confident enough in himself and his value, which is something that he stresses a lot, is knowing your worth mm-hmm. and having. And when you know your worth, you can do certain things. You have leverage. Mm-hmm. And he felt like at that point in his life he had leverage where he could mm-hmm. go and not and not have an agent. And then when he finally mm-hmm. decided to get an agent, he hired. He had a his brother, one of his half brothers, and his two friends of his brothers. One was an attorney. One was a lobbyist in the uh, Miami Dade, Florida uh, school district. And they would go around and interview agents. When the agent would come to him, 
he would connect them with his group. He called it Team Edger. And they basically mm-hmm. interviewed possible agents uh, for, to represent him. And through that process, they chose uh, Lee Steinberg and, and Lee, uh, Moorhead, uh, who was his partner, who ended up owning a Major League Baseball team. And at that time, Lee Steinberg was the ultimate agent in the NFL. He Every year he got like the top draft pick. He became so famous that the movie Jerry Maguire was patterned mm-hmm. after him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how big he was. Mm-hmm. And, and Edgerin mm-hmm. negotiated with Lee Steinberg that he was not going to pay the traditional 3% agent fee. Mm-hmm. He told mm-hmm. him, I'm not, I've, I got drafted. You didn't get me drafted. You didn't spend money to wine and dine me and recruit me. So I feel like um, I don't have to pay you 3%. Mm-hmm. And he didn't. He wouldn't. He didn't want to put the real percentage in the book, but it's unbelievable what he actually paid. But mm. now, I guess that's what I was referring to when I was thinking about where did that come from? Okay. Because yeah, you know, think about it. this was his kid. You know, the title of the book, Gold Teeth, Gold Jacket. Well, there's a reason mm-hmm. why he had the grill. He was known for the grill and the dreadlocks, mm-hmm. the long dreadlocks, mm-hmm. and he had the gold grill in his mouth. So people saw that look mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. immediately assumed, oh, this guy, you know, he, he just does. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's stupid. Right. And I, I'm thinking about this young kid who went there and talked to Lee, Stein, Lee Steinberg. And this guy is like, at that time, was just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And Lee Steinberg agreed to the terms. And I think Edgerman, in his common sense, knew that Lee Steinberg would accept because he was the fourth pick in the draft, which meant he was going to get a big contract. And he knew yeah. that Lee Steinberg was a businessman. So whatever Ledger and got was going to help Lee Steinberg down the line, the next draft, the draft after that because he would help him get this big contract. So I think Edgerman knew in the back of his mind that Lee Steinberg would go for it, and he did, you know, him and Jeff Morris. And he signs his deal and goes on to lead the league in rushing his first two years and was headed on to unbelievable. He might have been the all-time leading rusher, but he tore his ACL and his knee in his third year. Okay. And his mm-hmm. the, sixth, the sixth game of that year, mm-hmm. he had to miss that year. But he came back right the following year, which was amazing recovered in time to play the following year. It took him a couple of years to get back to his form. Mm-hmm. Uh, he never regained the speed that he had mm-hmm. initially, but he went on to have two more 1,500-yard seasons after that. He had a total of four 1,500-yard seasons in his career. Only four players in NFL history have ever had four 1,500-yard seasons. Barry Sanders was one of them. Barry Sanders had five. Right. So that puts mm-hmm. him in a unique territory where the numbers that he was able to put up. Um, so the book is a story of how he gets these to certain points in his life, how he overcomes adversity growing up, how he buys his first car at age 14. With only uh, that's a money. great story. I love that story. <laughs> that is a great, I love, love yeah. that story. Mm-hmm. He, was, he, yeah. wasn't even big enough, he wasn't even old enough to drive. No. <laughs> no. You know what I like, but the one story that I like, or the theme, you know, it kind of reminded me about James Brown. When James Brown, I remember hearing mm-hmm. him, he would talk about, you know, he played in these radio stations, and he goes, "I own that radio station now." And I, so you, he he bought up, you know, remember the apartment building or whatever that his, his 
doesn't even sound like that, whatever they were living in. And mm-hmm. he bought the building, the whole building up. Mm-hmm. And he says even after even after redecorating it and building it up, it still didn't look that great, but he bought it, you know, and he would go around <laughs> and buy up these things and, and buy this. Yeah. I just thought that was, I bought his mother a house, mm-hmm. and his mother still would go back to the old house that she had because <laughs> yeah. she was used to that house. But he bought her a half-million-dollar house, but I mean, just the way, like you say, his business mindset of, okay, I'm not just going to settle for this apartment. Well, I'm going to build. I'm going to build this. I'm going to buy this whole apartment building and renovate yeah. it and so forth. So that's that that entrepreneurial kind of thing seemed to be early on, like you said. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stories that we didn't really even get to. There's so much uh-huh. we could easily write two or three more books. So many interviews, so many people oh, wow. that we talked to. But one of the things, one of the stories he didn't really want to get into, and he. One thing about Edgen I learned, a lot of, dealt with a lot coming up. It was hard getting a lot of that out of it. Mm-hmm. You could just tell. I, I tried to imagine coming up, you know, his dad wasn't there. Any, you know, he lost the mother of four of his children to uh, leukemia. Very painful for him. I just could not get him to open up at all mm-hmm. and talk about certain things. And he also didn't talk about the fact that after he had been in the NFL several years, he had moved to Orlando. He family grew up in South Florida. Mm-hmm. He had moved to Orlando, which is probably about three hours, four hours away, he offered any family member, you know, direct or aunt, uncle, cousin, to move to Orlando, mm-hmm. I'll buy you a house, come up here, you know, it'll be paid for, I just kind of want y'all to get on your feet. And several took him up on it, so several of the family members now live in Orlando where he is, some of them didn't come. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he did that, if you imagine, even if he said, even if 10 family members came up, mm-hmm. he bought them all new houses. Mm. Set them up. Just think about that. The planning. Well, knowing him though, he planned it. He didn't just. He just didn't do it mm-hmm. by chance. He planned it. But he family was always been very important to him. He wanted family members to maybe try to have a better life without having the burden of debt. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead. You know, your house is paid for. Just go ahead and work, save your money, and and, and do what you do. So, so yeah, it's a generous, generous spirit. Yes. Yeah. But it also it also shows that it's important for us, and we we talk about that, you know, having that financial literacy so that you can do great things, and so that you can keep yourself out of debt. You can help more people. You can help your family. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's great to hear his story because, like you said, there is a, a stereotype that you know football players entertainers you know rappers all that Mm -hmm. all they do is to what rain down money and uh, (laughs) spend money on gucci and all that kind of stuff without being Mm -hmm. um, you know financial strong and and understanding of that so it it really has paid off for him you know how does he keep the hangers on off he talks about in the book he talks a lot about family Mm -hmm. and how difficult that was when he first got the money and older family members would come at him. He said, that's, the, that's one of the reasons why you read about so many athletes mm-hmm. struggling. Uh-huh. Because they had this family pressure. He said, some guys can't handle it. Uh-huh. He said, he would counsel some guys about it. He like, how do you do it? Mm-hmm. And he said, he just learned, you know, he said, when we go out to eat, he said, you know, they might, you know we might run up a $2,000 bill. Mm-hmm. So I would tell them after a while, you know what, I'll take you all out, but you don't have to pay for your drink. And he mm-hmm. said... The bill would go from two thousand dollars to nine hundred. Mm. He said I would do things. He said I would do things like that. Um, if I loan you money and you don't pay it back, you never get another dime from me. Mm. But I imagine mm. you even look out 
get everything you can get before you come to me. So he was very specific about how he handled those types of things. Mm-hmm. Very direct. I, I need to tell you, help, I need to see you help yourself. His, his brother Jeff tells the story. I don't know if you saw it. It's hilarious that his brother was in college and he was going back. He went to school in Illinois. So he called Adrian up and said, hey, uh, can I stop by and see you? Mm-hmm. He said, yeah. So he goes by and he said, hey, you know, I was, I'm going back to school. I was wondering if you could help me out a little bit. He said, yeah, yeah. Um, go in my room in there in the drawer, get you know some money up in there, get it out. And he said he comes in, he's all these hundreds, just wives of hundreds. He said it must have been five, ten thousand dollars there. Okay. He's like, give him the money. So he starts flicking the flicking the hundred dollars, thousand, one hundred, one thousand, two thousand, three thousand. He said he flicks off a one hundred dollar bill and gives it to him. He said, uh, is that it? <laughs> he said, yeah, that's it. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's it. He said, really? Yeah. He looked at him, he said, okay, man. He said, I dapped him up. Went back to school. He said, I had to hitchhike. Barely had enough money to, to make it. Oh, he said, I was just so mad. Mm-hmm. He said, I called him when I got, I called him when I got back to school. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, you got a minute? He said, yeah. He said, I could have bought you a plane ticket. I could have given you whatever you needed. He said, the reason I didn't is because I wanted you not to be always dependent on me. Mm-hmm. I want you to learn to develop other resources of income. And he mm-hmm. said, those words stuck with me, even though I was angry at the time. Mm-hmm. He said, I never, mm-hmm. ever after that depended on other people to do for me what I could do for mm-hmm. myself, or at least I could try to do for myself. And I thought that mm-hmm. was really an interesting, uh, an interesting story. had some humor in it, but really some real-life deals in it, which just kind of explains how Edmund was able to uh, accumulate the, the fortune that he did, and more mm-hmm. importantly, keep the fortune. A lot of guys make mm-hmm. money, but they don't keep mm-hmm. it. Right. How many how many have you read about the bankrupts or I know. You know, they're looking many. for more money here. Many. Some of the people are super quote unquote smart. Tim Duncan. He he mentions Tim Duncan in the book. Tim Duncan, educated, smart guy. He got taken for millions by some guy because he trusted somebody else. He signed over and they, he said, I never he said, I never trust people for my money. I don't let anybody I don't get control power of attorney to anybody. No, nope, I don't sign my money over to you. A lot of athletes do that. Because mm. what other athletes do, hey, you know, you can get your financial planner and, you know, you got a financial planner. Everybody has a financial planner. Mm-hmm. But Edrin, growing up streetwise, growing up around a lot of older guys, a lot of, a lot of crackheads, as he says, people he saw, older guys, street guys, he learned common sense. He didn't think like a normal, typical, maybe even an athlete that came out of college. He thought more like a guy from the street. He didn't trust. Mm-hmm. He said, I never trusted. I never trusted. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys trust. Mm-hmm. Even some of his best friends, Clinton Portis, who writes in one of the chapters about how he lost like $5 million. And they're like, best of friends. But mm-hmm. Edwin was his boy, but he still went out and made this investment, knowing that Edwin you know, wouldn't go in with him. And he mm-hmm. lost a lot of money. And he just said, Edwin just looks at things differently from most of us. You know, he's not willing to take a loss. And so most of wow. us will take a loss. We'll gamble that. Mm-hmm. We'll take that chance. He's not willing to do that. One other thing he brought up that was interesting, one of the chapters, chapter 17, Common Sense, Dollars and Cents. He has a couple paragraphs that I thought were fascinating. Anybody that gets taken for money, especially when it comes to athletes, it's not the dudes in the hood or the people in their circle. Mm-hmm. Advisors and financial planners run you away from the hood. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting because it's opposite of what, what you normally hear. You know, he said, yeah, yeah. he said, yeah, sometimes, sometimes dudes from the hood can get on your nerves. They're genuinely good people you know well. Dudes in the hood can be aggravated sometimes. 
but they want peanuts compared to what those other people want. Those new people are going to empty your bank account. That's it. And you never hear it put that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right. the reason why you don't is because those financial planners and people like that are in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. The media kind of, it's easier for the media. Hey, I've, I've been a media member for a long time. I know the perception mm-hmm. of how the media looks at athletes, particularly black athletes, and how mm-hmm. they look at coaches and management type things. It's much easier to tell the story of the the, the, the black athlete who loses his money than to talk about the financial planner who's looking to take the money from him. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot easier to tell right. that story. Yep. So Edrin yep. tells that story. And you don't hear that story told a lot Mm-mm. in that type of manner. Mm-hmm. But it's, he's telling you. I've seen it. He said, they came, They all came to me. So I, I didn't know those kids. You got to remember. I was, dude, I was like, everybody came after me. All the agents. All the financial planners. Mm-hmm. I was top. I mean, I went to the U. They all came after me. They do that. You know, the financial mm-hmm. planners, they kind of look for those mm-hmm. type of folks. Entertainer, you know. Yeah, because yeah. they, they want to manage their money. But I always say, too, that um, everyone should learn how to manage their own money, even though you give it to yeah. the folks. You know, you, you still are with your planner, your accountant. You still need to know yeah. your own money and how much and the, and the receipts for real. Cause yeah, because you, yeah, you just can't trust. You can't trust people. And everybody is not for you but you know you you wrote about the whole the parallels and how that um being in sports playing sports can actually help you to be you know successful or be able to handle business and so what's your take on that why do you believe so well i mean for thing, i mean you're you're, you're going to make the athletes for the most part are going to make more money than people in the general population that's mm-hmm. point one mm-hmm. point two with rare exceptions, they're only going to make it for a short period of time because their, their, their shelf life is just not that long, especially in football. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the average, I think we had one of the notes in the book, I think the average career for a running back in the NFL was like two point something years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for, I mean, I think for overall it was like three point, mm-hmm. three point something mm-hmm. for total NFL players before a running back who takes all those hits, those tackles, it was like 2.3. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Two years. And your career is over. So that means that there's a lot of guys that aren't really going to make any money. The real money, that's really maybe the real, only real money that they ever really make in their whole lives. Remember, they're young. They're in their early 20s. Uh, they're making this money. But they, a lot of them don't have a financial background. So right. they're trusting the financial advisors, people who maybe were recommended to them, who they don't really know. And, and, and as Edwin says, the book, financial planners, they need you to make money. You say, well, they'll, they'll tell you when you buy a house, you get a loan and put 80%, keep 80% out, put 20% down, and use the 80, and use the 80% to invest. He said, no, that's crazy. He said, because they want the 80% because that's how they're going to make their money. Mm-hmm. They're not going to make their money off of the 20% that you put down on the house. They're going to make their 80% off of the investment that they advise you on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, people don't look at it like that. Mm-hmm. That's how they make their money. They don't. It's a, it's a financial advisor just gives you great advice. Or, you know, hey, put your money in bonds, mutual funds, which is what he did. Just do that. But well, they're not going to really make any money. He can give you great advice, mm-hmm. but it's not not in your pocket. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he said he came to understand was that. You really have to watch your pockets because mm-hmm. people are watching your pockets for you. He talked even even a even like a mortgage. He talks about for an athlete. An athlete has five, six, seven houses, and he said, say you buy a three hundred ninety nine thousand dollar house and you put a mortgage on it, and you say you want to sell it in 
five years, and then you get it, and you sell it for four hundred ninety-nine thousand dollars. And he's like, okay, well, you made a hundred thousand, but you really didn't, because if you factor in interest, take, take the interest, subtract that hundred thousand dollars you made from the interest. So the hundred thousand dollar profit that it looks like you made on the house, you really didn't make that. He said, mm-hmm. for me and for athletes, people that have the money, you know, I would mm-hmm. recommend if you don't buy the house outright right away, you know, get your mortgage and in a couple of years, pay it off. That way you can really show a true investment when you sell your house. If you buy your house for $300,000 and sell it for $599,000, $500,000, that's maybe that'll show a true $200,000 profit because you paid the house off way back. So he would say stuff like that. Because nothing else would just make you think. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, most people can't do that. Mm-hmm. Most people can't exactly <laughs> put all the money down right. to buy a house. Mm-hmm. But for right. for athletes, athletes who have this, there's ways for athletes to not put themselves in debt. You know, what do you need eight houses? Mm-hmm. You know, why do you have to have eight houses where you have to pay for gardening and housekeeping and, and every house to maintain? You know, why do you know? I, I stayed in this house in Orlando. It's a really nice house. It's not a mansion. You know, he bought another house in Orlando, which he uses as like a place where he runs a camp every summer. He trains young kids. He puts them up. He takes care of them. And the family uses that place. And he has the house for his mother and family members. But he doesn't have like, you know, I got I got a house in L.A. I got a house here. I got a house. He doesn't live that way. He, he's very, if you met his family, his mother, very down to earth. They walk mm-hmm. really well off. But you wouldn't really know if you met his mother. You wouldn't really know that she, her son is just, you know, multi, multi, multi-millionaire. She just, What's his net worth uh, now? Oh, it's well over a hundred million. Mm. You know, he earned like seventy-five thousand as a player. Uh huh. Between the businesses that he has now, which he's been doing for, and as as his, his one uh, money manager, which he was a former teammate who helped him get into mutual funds when he first started, saving all his money, not spending it. That was the key at the mm-hmm. beginning. Not spending, mm-hmm. growing it, investing mm-hmm. smartly in business that make money. He has a. He talked about it in the book. You know, I know my wife, mm-hmm. uh, Yolanda, was like, you guys sure you want to write about this? He has a he has a gentleman's club in Miami. And I said, okay, you sure you want to talk about this? He was like, yeah. He talks about it in the book. He talks about how Charles Bennett, who I told you about, kind of didn't want him to do it, but told him if you do it, you got to do it the right way. And he talks about it in an interesting way. He talks about, he bought the entire, he owns the property, right? He owns the property. He owns the building. It's his. He talks about a lot of black businesses. He said, they don't necessarily own, they don't necessarily own the property. They lease it. They rent it. So they only have so much control. Yeah. See, a lot of clubs, a lot of businesses that you see that are black owned, they don't own the property. He wants more black business owners to own their property. He said, the, the chap- I think the chapter is called Owning the, Owning the Dirt. We want mm-hmm. okay. to do that more. We need to own the dirt. So for me, it wow. could be a gentleman's club. It could be a bank. It just happens to be a gentleman's club. It makes a lot of money, but the main thing is that I own it. You know, he talks a lot about gentrification. We have to support each other. We have to support each other. We support every other group. We have to support yeah. black businesses at a much yeah. higher rate than what we do. So he's That's very true. big into into that. So he has a lot of subtle. He doesn't come out. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. Power, black and white, and race a lot, but he has a lot of subtle messages in the book that I think are very interesting and that, that people would find, you know, very informative. Okay, well then, how it's will folks? Story. Yeah, it is a great story. So, how will folks? They can just go on Amazon and buy this book. It's it's, it's called From Gold yeah. Teeth to Gold Jacket: My Life in Football and yeah. Business. So they can just go right on Amazon and get it, right? They can 
they, they can go to Amazon. They can go to my website, and they can get it there, too. My, my website is uh, johnharrisauthor.com, A-U-T-H-O-R. And okay. they can go through there. They can find a different link. They can get it through Amazon there. And they can also read a little bit about me and Edrin, uh, the book. Okay. We have some videos. We've done a lot of interviews. He's done a lot of national interviews with a lot of well-known figures, you know, since the book has come out. I've done some. So I think the website, and he can always go to his website as well, okay. edwinjames.com, and okay. just give you more insight into the person okay. behind the book and the guy who wrote the book. Yeah. Okay, and then in That's summary, great. in summary then, what would you say is the best take-home message and why we should even go and get this book? I think the book has a great message, and one of the things that we're trying to do is reach out to around the country, uh, school districts. I think some of the messages for young student-athletes, uh, young student-athletes, or just young students of color, to really uh, understand, you know, how the system works. They have something called the, the NIL out now. So now kids that are in college can now sign sponsorship deals now. They can make money while they're in college now. Mm-hmm. This is the first year that that's happened. So oh, now that you just got a passed. Right. Yeah, that that's just passed. Now you've got a new group yeah. of kids at different schools around the country. Mm-hmm. And you can read about them. They're signing these new marketing deals. You know, they're making some of them yeah. making a lot of money. But we talked about mm-hmm. that in the book. There's a concern from him. He said, okay, we have guys in the NFL coming out having trouble with their money. Now you're taking it down to college. How do you yeah. think those guys are going to handle their money? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. people are advising them, you know, financial advisors are advising them. They're not doing it for free. Mm-hmm. You know, you have tax implications now. What do is, what is kids in college know about paying tax? Mm-hmm. So there's a whole, it's, it's a great opportunity for kids. But it's also you open up a whole new Pandora's box of potential problems mm-hmm. with these young adults. The last thing you want to do is get into credit issues, you know, when you're 20 years old, 21 years right. old. Six years and years to uh, get out of that. But I think the message is one of uh, self-reliance. And, and the one thing he said, I, I read. He said, I read. I read. You know, I didn't know about finances when I first got into it. So I didn't get out there and make a lot of investments like a lot of guys did. I played football. Mm. But I read. I constantly read. And I learned. And I learned. And when I retired and I felt like I was ready to look at things from a more business you know, mm-hmm. perspective, that's when mm-hmm. I got involved. But I, when I was playing, I just let my money make my money. When he bought cars, mm-hmm. he didn't buy cars. He bought cars with money he would get from card shows. Mm-hmm. He would sign cars mm-hmm. and help He wouldn't go into his bank account and I got to have this car. He would wait until he had made enough money to a different shows or other things he did. He mm-hmm. would use that money. He wouldn't use the money in his account. So, right. and he said it wasn't important. You know, he was a, his mother, you know, was a Jeff Jehovah's Witness. So he didn't celebrate Christmas, Christmas. So he said, when I grew up, I didn't Our know birthdays. about gifts. I didn't get gifts. Or birthdays. Yeah. That was the other he thing. Said, no so, birthdays. Yeah. Okay. So that wasn't as big a deal for me to have something. Mm-hmm. I learned how to do it out at a young age. So I could wait. Okay. I could wait until I had yeah. the money saved up. Then I would buy the car that I wanted or whatever. And patiently, stressing patience, self-reliance, and discipline, I'd say would be mm-hmm. three of the messages that I would definitely take mm-hmm. from this book. For anybody at any age, but especially for young adults. All right. And so mm-hmm. tell me then, so tell me, how can people get in touch with you? Where can they go? Well, I mean, they can reach me through my, you know, through my website. Okay. Uh, JohnHarrisAuthor.com. I can give them a, if they want to call me, they can, I can give them a phone number. Where okay. They can reach me at uh, 330-623-0522. You know, and they can call me up, leave a message. Uh, they can text me. Uh, however, they like to contact me. The website, like I said, is a wealth of information. And they can also leave me a message on the website as well. And I'll return. I'll return all, all inquiries or responses. 
All right. So what do you say, Dee, to end this? This it was, it's been great. This has been a it's, it's been a great story. Um, one other little thing I have to remember. I mean, he's not not been the greatest role model with his his uh, personal life, but I remember Oprah. You know, who now is multi billionaire. Remember that uh, I remember Cosby telling her, "Right, sign your own check. Mm. Sign your own checks. Don't let anybody else sign your checks for you." So. You're right. He's oh. right about about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what other men? Kind of thing. A single dad, six kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, four of them have gone to HBCUs. Okay. Uh, wow. One is just one just graduated from law school. One is studying mm. to be a plastic surgeon. One mm. is a freshman at Howard. He's a football player. One is a singer. Uh, one she goes to Clark, Atlanta. Okay. Another son who's going to be a senior this year. He's a top. 50 uh, high school basketball. Okay. And the like a freshman in high school. So he, he talks about his kids in the book. His kids are his passion. And I think people can, you know, how you know, hear a lot about dads, and, uh, you know, African-American dads, dads of color and their kids. Well, he's a guy who that's been a priority for him. You know, their lives, it's, nothing to him is more important than his children, his family. So I think some people can take, can take some definitely some positive messages out of that as well. All right. Well, thank you so much, John thank you so much. Harris. This has been great. Yes. And folks, great. go make sure you get the book. It's called From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket My Life in Football and Business. Okay, then. Thank you, John. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me. I loved it. It was great. All right. Oh, great. It was for us, too. Now, this is our show, D. So, do you have some tips that we should think about? It was a good story. This story about Edgar and James is a good story. The gold from gold teeth to um, gold jacket. And you know, I like how John pointed out the fact that you can't judge a book by its cover. You know, mm-hmm. people he was sure looked at this young man coming out. You know, and with the the upbringing or the background that he came from. That well, what does he know? He doesn't know anything. And how this guy was driven. He became an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. He, he realized the value of money. He made money playing football, but he was able to keep his money and save his money and reach back and mentor. And I thought a great story was mm-hmm. he was a single dad with six kids, and all mm-hmm. those kids are doing well. All of them. You know, you hear a lot about the African-American father and all kinds mm-hmm. of negative press and publicity and stuff. Mm-hmm. And here's a man who has uh, had six children. All of them were doing great things. All so of them. It was, just a, it, was a, it was just a good story of, you know, he didn't exactly pull himself up by his bootstraps. But, you know, he, he struggled with his background. But it, it just showed with fortitude and stick-to-itness, mm-hmm. you know, his net worth, as uh, John said, was over $100 million. So, That's you know, it. And, he, he, and, and, you know, he learned how to deal with hangers-on. Yeah, you know, So many athletes and entertainers mm-hmm. get with, and then all of a sudden, they have money, and then they've given it out to, you know, Pookie and them. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Pooping them, <laughs> knocking on the door, uh-huh, uh-huh. money and hangers on, 
and then you end up with empty pockets, and then Pookie and them have moved on to the next victim. That's it. So, uh, yes. so that it was a, it was a great story. Yes, it was, very good. it was great, and and just how how this young man. Edgerin, how he, yeah, learned, like we were saying, financial literacy, you know. So financial he could, literacy. So he exactly. can take care of business. He can take care of business exactly. and his life. And so, yeah. And so that's why, you know, it, it is kind of worth it to have, even though the we, we all know that that um, time playing in sports can only be about, what, two years or three years. For a running back, like he said, for mm-hmm. a running back, like this man mm-hmm. has a life lifetime survival is 2.5 years or something like yeah that. To, to survive in that business you you got to be out because of the injuries and stuff and so exactly. now they are I know with the the um, football and sports now pro and all of that even in college they're teaching the students now about how to handle money and all of that uh, entrepreneurship yeah. because your pro-life it's not going to be long and forever, you know? Mm-mm. Yeah. yeah. You have to think about that, too. Exactly. That's it. So, yeah, this was, like you said, a great story, right? It was a great story. It really was. All really right. Was. And so people go to Amazon, check out John Harris, his book, From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket, My Life in Football and Business. And as always, for more information, go to our website, vickidofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickidofitness.com.